hard. Actually, I know we just did this a couple years ago as I was uh, pulling some of this stuff back up on my computer. It was only a couple years ago that we did it, but uh, it's time again to go through some of this on Wednesday nights, and uh, sometimes you have new people in the church or people who missed it or different things, so there's a reason that we do things the way we do them here. But uh, we're going to, uh, Brian calls it child rearing, uh, which basically means raising. Uh, I call this child training, um, but that's kind of what we're going to go through for the next four weeks. And when I say the next four weeks, we're actually going to have I don't want to say next week off because there is Wednesday night service next week, but it's a Thanksgiving service. But we'll uh, teach child training tonight, and then we'll skip a week of child training, and then we'll go the next three Wednesdays in a row, and we'll finish up there. And so uh, I titled this, and if you remember from a couple years ago, if you were somebody who was here for this, um, and, and it is kind of funny, but I don't mean it in a funny way, but I titled this The Art of Negotiating with the Terrorists. When we talk about uh, raising kids, uh, it is the art of negotiating uh, with a terrorist. And so the reason that I say that is when my kids were little, uh, just a little bit of background, Paige and I have three kids. Um, Brian is 20. Uh, he's still uh, at home working full time. Uh, Brenton is a senior. He's 18. And Hallie is a freshman and she is 15. So we don't have young children anymore. Uh, and that doesn't mean that like we have arrived. Uh, it just means that we've made it through. And so we'll get into some of the details of that in a minute. But I remember when the kids were little, um, they always try to use uh, what you say against you, right? It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how old they are. From a very young age, they learn to manipulate words, to take things and to twist them. They learn to take the, what they wanted to hear from mom and bring that to me and hopefully pair that with what they got from me that they liked. And between the two, they might get some of what they heard and I remember saying this phrase uh, multiple times when the kids would say, but why not? And I would always tell them, especially the boys, we don't negotiate with terrorists in this house, right? What mom says or what dad says goes. That's just the way that it is. And so that's kind of where that came from. Um, it is kind of funny, but at the same time, uh, it's very true. And so since we're on the subject of my kids, before we get started, I want to give you two disclaimers before we get started. Um, and uh, I like to be very open about uh, everything that I teach, everything I do in life, but uh, let's just go through this first. So let's call these ground rules to play the game by. Uh, I'll agree to them if you'll agree to them with me. And so the first one is this. Paige and I don't have child training, quote-unquote, figured out. And along with that, my kids aren't perfect. Uh, and so I'll say that up front. Anybody who's listening, anybody who has uh, seen that, uh, we don't have anything figured out. We've done some things. We've modified some things as we raised our kids. There's things that we've talked about that we would even maybe change a little bit if we were uh, to ever go back, which we're not, just in case anybody's wondering. That's not happening. Uh, but uh, uh, if it was to ever come to that. But uh, my kids aren't perfect. Uh, we don't have it figured out. And I expect that since you're here, since you're uh, looking online and you're finding, oh, there's some teaching on child training. I expect the fact that you're listening to this tells me that your kids aren't perfect either or you wouldn't be listening. So I'm guessing that we're in the same boat and we'll agree to that. The second disclaimer I want to say is, and so if my kids and your kids aren't perfect, then don't have expectations for my kids that they didn't sign up for. Uh, and I say that to say, um, I've realized this as I've grown in the Lord is, uh, my kids didn't sign up for me being uh, a pastor. Uh, they're not against it, uh, but they didn't sign up for me uh, 
going and doing all the things that we do. And so sometimes uh, there's expectations that are put on uh, preacher's kids, and I wouldn't consider myself a preacher. I just teach the Bible uh, sometimes. But uh, there's some expectations that go on to that. And so I, my, just because I'm in here teaching this uh, doesn't mean that I'm asking for a target to be put on my kids' backs because uh, you know they're not doing everything completely right. I promise uh, Paige and I have uh, areas that we could still uh, grow and, and, and do these things in. So those two things kind of ground rules from the get-go. Just understand that I'm not up here trying to hypocritically tell you anything that I don't uh, already see uh, in, in my life and different things. And so just make sure you understand that. So before we jump right into week one, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about me. Uh, I'm pretty black and white with the way I teach the Bible. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of gray area really in it at all. Um, I believe that the Bible says what it says or says what it means and it means what it says. And uh, sometimes that rubs people wrong. Uh, I'll also tell you that I will probably somewhere along the lines in these next four weeks, uh, I will probably say something that's going to rub you wrong. It's just probably going to happen. Uh, don't take it personal. I, I don't have your kids in mind when I'm telling these stories or anything else. I believe that we can find the answer to every question or problem in life in the word of God. And if you don't, then uh, you should really uh, dig into it a little deeper. But you can find the answer to every question or problem in life in the Word of God. Child training is no different. And I will also say this. I am a fan of the book, not books about the book, right? Or books about the subject, right? There's a lot of uh, good books out there on uh, child training. There's also really a lot of really bad books out there. And so uh, I always suggest go to the book first and find out what it says. Uh, and you can go and grow from there. So uh, just kind of uh, we'll start with that. So one last thing, because I know that there are people that are planning on listening to this. There's a lot of people that Paige and I have spent a lot of time with them and their kids as, as their kids have grown. And uh, there's a lot of people that think, uh, oh, no, he's talking about my kids when he says that. Uh, probably not, uh, honestly. I'm going to use a lot of real-life examples to try to make this stuff make sense uh, as we go through this material to help uh, explain things that we're trying to teach. So don't just assume that I'm talking about your kid with every example, right? Don't just assume that because uh, I'm probably talking about maybe the people sitting next to you or the people sitting behind you. So uh, play it cool. They won't know, and it's all good. We're just talking about child training in general. Uh, so just make sure that you understand that these are God's principles. These aren't my things. Yes, we've bought into them, but uh, if you buy into these, I promise there's benefit to it. So with that, let's pray real quick, and we'll get going. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, just loving us. I thank you for a book that tells the truth, uh, no matter what our circumstance in life is. Uh, there are, there's too many things in life uh, that are left in question for us not to know that we have your answers on it. And so we live in a world of uh, chaos and confusion. We live in a world where uh, if you believe it, it must be true. And uh, Lord, I thank you for giving us an ultimate authority in the word of God. And so I do pray as we look into something as serious as uh, raising our kids uh, in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they won't depart from it. What Proverbs 22, 6 says, I pray that we would take that seriously that this wouldn't just be something that uh, we talk about, but it would be something that we actually do. And Lord, I know there's a lot of people in here that, uh, um, and that are going to hear this that maybe don't have young kids anymore. I do pray that they would take it as serious as they would as if they did, because uh, there's a lot of young families around who need guidance. There's a lot of young people that could use uh, what the Word of God says. So I pray that even if this doesn't hit you uh, in your home right now, that it would be something that you could take and put it in your discipleship uh, discipleship backpack and uh, pull it out at just the right time with just the right people uh, so that your church would be uh, edified in it. So, Lord, I pray you just remove me, speak through me in Christ's name. Amen.
Okay, if you have your Bibles, we're going to base tonight out of uh, the book of First Samuel. So First Samuel, um, uh, get to uh, chapter 1, and we're just going to start from the beginning and read through some of this, and I'm going to kind of base through this. And so what we're going to see tonight uh, is the problem in child training. If you came and you're like, okay, I need to know how often... I'm supposed to uh, correct my kids, or I need to know how often, or how we're going to use discipline, and we'll talk about all that, but that's not going to be tonight. Um, we have to lay some groundwork before we can get to that point. And so uh, I do pray that you would take what we're going to say tonight as seriously as you would uh, how often and, and how to discipline, because that's what most people want to get to. Because if you don't lay this groundwork first, uh, it's just not going to make that what we're going to say in a week or two isn't really going to make a lot of sense. So tonight we're going to look at the problem in child training. And so uh, we're going to see three places that the problem won't be found, that a lot of times we like to say that that is the issue. And we'll find the one, and I know you're not going to like it, but the one where it is found. And so the first place that the problem uh, is not found in child training is the problem is not on God. So let me flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, a decent little portion of this to kind of give us uh, some groundwork, and then we will just kind of bounce in and out of it after that. But um, 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, obviously the book of 1 Samuel is about, uh, at this point, a young boy who's not even uh, born at this point. His name is Samuel, but that's kind of picking up the, the story of what it is. So uh, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 1, now there was a certain man of uh, Ramah... Uh, I can't say big words like that. Yeah, uh, it's a really, uh, there was a place there uh, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of uh, Jeroham, and and his son was uh, the son of Elihu, uh, the son of Tohu, uh, the son of uh, Zuf, the son of uh, an Ephrathite. Just side note, there's a reason that you can know that your Bible is true, because it's got details in there that you just really might think you'll never need to know. And a lot of that stuff could just be glossed over, but it's in there. Anyway, so verse 2. And this guy, uh, he says he had two wives, uh, and the name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of his uh, host in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, Eli is the, the priest, and Hopni and Phinehas are his sons uh, doing the priestly work. Uh, the, the priests of the Lord were there. And when the time was that Elkanah, uh, or, yeah, Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and his daughter and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But... The Lord has shut up her womb. So we're just kind of getting some backstory of what's going on here. Verse 6, and her adversary, meaning uh, the other wife, just guys in case you're ever wondering, two wives, probably not the best idea. It's just probably not going to work for you, but uh, it didn't work here either. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord has shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, talking about Elkanah, uh, when she went up uh, to the house of the Lord, so she uh, provoked... Um, to her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said, El, then said Elkanah, guys, just this verse, you should highlight this and just put it in your pocket of things not to say to your wife ever. Uh, verse 8. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better than ten sons? So Hannah rose up the third day, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat uh, by a post of the temple of the Lord. 
And she was in bitterness of soul. So she is broken about what's going on in her life. And prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thy handmaid, but I will, uh, but will give uh, unto thine handmaid a man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. Talking about the Nazarite vow there. Um, verse 12. And it came to pass that she continued to pr- uh, praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now, now, so Eli's just watching what's going on here. She's praying. She's like deep in prayer. She's broken. All this is going on. Um, and he's watching her. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, Eli thought she had been drunken. So she, he's saying, this gal's over here murmuring. I don't know what's going on. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away, put away thy wine from me. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hereto. Then Eli answered her and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thy uh, handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. At this point, nothing had changed in her life other than the priest said, God will bless what you're praying for, right? She hadn't seen the results. She had just seen... Uh, she trusted what God had said. And it says her countenance was no more sad. Verse 19. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned. And they came into their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore, it came to pass when the time was come uh, about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Okay, so that's kind of the backstory of what's going on. Uh, Hannah really wants a son. Uh, she's barren. We don't know for how many years she had been barren, how many years she had been in this. Uh, but it was it was a really messed up family, family situation. Uh, and so the first thing that we need to see when we talk about child training, and I'll explain to you how this has anything to do with child training as we move forward, but the problem is not on God. This is This is pretty simple, but we need to cover our bases anyway. We live in a culture where Children seem to run the home, and parents feel that they have absolutely no control. If you don't believe that, just go to Walmart on a Saturday and stand back and watch. Uh, you'll understand very quickly what I'm talking about. We have television shows in our culture that glorify how bad our kids have become just so we can have the quote-unquote super nanny come in and save us. And we laugh about it, and we, we think, oh, it's just it's the funniest thing ever. We have parents that are so offended by the idea of disciplining their sweet little baby that the phrase child training has even become taboo in the culture that we live in. Uh, even sometimes in, in the marriage or in the home, it's so divided on what child training should look like that both parents eventually throw up their arms and nothing ever gets done, and the kids rule the house, and we wonder why the world is where it is. So obviously there's a disconnect. Obviously there's a problem somewhere in the structure of the family, and we need to start by recognizing this, point one. God never was, he's not currently, and he will never be the problem with any aspect of your life, child training included. Make sure you understand that. That he never was, he is not currently, and he never will be the problem with any aspect in your life. Child training included. Hannah could have blamed the Lord for her barrenness, but that would have been a lost cause. She could have said, it's the Lord's fault that I don't have kids, and that this other wife of my husband's, that she's got all these kids, it's his fault, and I've done everything that I can do, and if the Lord wanted it to be, and so it's his, it's never a good idea. You might say, well, go back and look at verse 5, where it says the Lord shut up her womb, but I would say be careful when you start throwing God under the bus for uh, under the bus for something He's trying to teach you, be careful for throwing God under the bus for something He's trying to teach you. We don't know exactly why Hannah was barren early in her life, 
But here's what we can know by using the full counsel of God when you compare Scripture with Scripture, point two. God will allow you to experience trials and tribulations in life, but they're always there to either grow your faith or test your faith. God will allow you to go through some things. There will be times and seasons in your life where you look at it and you say, why would God ever allow this in someone's life, a Christian especially? And it's for one of these two reasons. It's either to grow your faith or test your faith. And let me just tell you the difference so you know. You grow your faith to get closer to, uh, to God through a circumstance. A test of your faith is to see where you're really going to turn when things don't go your way. Right? God wants to grow you through circumstances. He wants to test you so that you know really which way you are going to go when, when things get hard. By reading the story, it seems as though God is testing Hannah to see where she will turn. And where does she turn? She, she turns to God, and God comes through in verse 20, right? She goes to the priest. She's, she's at the temple. She's praying. She's just pouring her heart out. Obviously, her husband's a complete knothead. We kind of just see from the different things that he says and, and throughout the story. He's just completely checked out, and, and she is just broken. And instead of just throwing up her arms in the situation at hand, the way we do sometimes with our child training, she goes to God, and she just pours her heart out. And says, God, this is, this is what I think. And God comes through. Can you believe it? In verse 20, it says that she has a son. We see later in the story that not only does God come through, but he continues to come through. If you were to fast forward to chapter 2 in verse 20 and 21, Samuel's not the only child she has. I'll read it. It says, And Eli blessed Elkanah his wife and said, The Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan that, uh, which is lent to the Lord. And they went into their own home. The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters for the child, er, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. <coughs> God blesses her obedience and her vow uh, to basically loan her son to the service of God. When we realize that God's not the problem and we give him the glory where he deserves for what we do have, see, that's what, that's what happens. In the culture we live in, we only see the things that we don't have. We only see the things that we don't get. We only see the things that everybody else has, and we stop realizing what we have right in front of us. We stop realizing that it could be worse. Uh, it, it, things could be broken. Things could be, we, we don't see what we have. We don't count our blessings, and we live in a culture where, but if I only had this, and well, that person has that, and, and, and that's what we see when we realize that, that he's not the, the problem, and we give him the glory, right, then we can start to see God for who he really is and not who we sometimes want him to be. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, it's a, I'm not going to read it, but uh, it's basically this song that Hannah sings about how grateful that she is that God came through and that he answered her prayer, right? And it's just like this, this entire, this 10 verses of her just basically singing the praises of God because of how great he is and, and what he has done. When we can start to see God for who he is and not who we want him to be, point three, you can't limit God and the blessings he can bring to your life simply because you're too proud to ask. That's what happens. We limit God and the blessings he can bring to our life simply because we're too proud to ask. We think that we just deserve fill in the blank. We think that we are entitled to you fill in the blank. Well, because that person has it, then we must deserve it as well. And, I mean, because I have done everything right in my life, in my eyes, that's what we look at it, we think that God should just bless us. And if we have to ask, well, then at that point, it's not really worth it. And so we, we, we limit God and the blessings he can bring into our life because we're too proud to ask. You know what the Bible says? You have not because you ask not. 
I mean, that's, that's just as simple as what it says. You have not because you ask not. So back to child training. Have you asked God to help you or have you blamed him unjustly? You want to talk about child training and like, man, it just seems like my kids won't obey. My kids won't do what we want them to do. Actually, they do the opposite of what we want them to do pretty much all the time. Um, Have you asked God to help or are you simply just blaming him for what's not happening? Because I promise you the problem is not on God. One last, uh, I'm sorry, pages are stuck together. So the next thing, so obviously we understand that was pretty basic. Uh, the problem's not on God. Um, so the next place, the problem is not on the child, right? Now, wait a minute. I thought we were on the same team here, and uh, we all understand that if the kids would just do their part, then child training would be easy. No, I promise. The problem's not on God. The problem's not on the child either. I know this is a shocker to some of you because you definitely had probably already filled in the blank at the end of this that said the kids were definitely the problem with child training, right? Um, And let me just tell you, here's probably why you think that. And we can look more into it in a couple of weeks. But for now, here is why you think that if the kids would just get it and the kids would just do what they're told, then things would be better. Let me me just tell you why you think that. Because you've trained your kids, and we'll get to this more in a couple of weeks. You've trained your kids to only obey when they really want to. You might be like, what do you mean by that? You, you have trained your kids, and we have trained our kids in this, the culture that we live in today. We have trained our kids to only obey when it's convenient for them. Right? We've trained them to only obey at the count of two and three quarters before we say three. We've trained them to only obey when I stand up. To only obey when I raise my voice. And we've trained them to only obey when it's convenient. Now, maybe that's not what you were thinking, but that's the truth anyway. Here's what I mean by that statement, and we'll move on, and we can look at it more in depth in a later week. Point four, a child will always, now you can underline always, a child will always be as consistently obedient as the parent is at correcting them when they're not. And we have an in-depth portion of the study that we'll get into this later on. But just so you know, a child will always be as consistently obedient as the parent is at correcting them when they're not. So let me just give you an example. If you're 50% consistent, if you're actually going to do something about their disobedience 50% of the time and the other 50% of the time, you're like, I'm just too tired. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just not going to do it. Then here's what you can expect. You can expect 50% obedience. That's just what happens. You've trained them that way. You have trained them. So let's look at the Bible and see why a properly trained child is not the problem. When you train them correctly, they're not the, the, the problem. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 11. So this is Samuel. He's, he has now been lent to the Lord. He's uh, there to be a servant at the temple uh, under Eli and with his sons there. And so let's look at a couple verses here. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 11. It says, and Elkanah went to Ramah to his house, and the child did scream and throw fits when he didn't get his way. That's not what it says. And the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Right? It says that he, you'll find a child doing what he's been trained to do all the time. You'll find a child doing what he's been trained to do. And I know what you're thinking, so here I'll ask it for you. This statement cannot be true, Jason, because I didn't teach my kid to lie and to cheat, and to steal, right? I go to church here. You tell me we get that from our daddy, Adam, right? Okay, so here's two things that you're missing, though. 
my friend, as you look into something like this. First, if they got it from Adam is your argument, then you need to remember that Adam was your daddy first, and so you're more like him than they are, right? You're one generation closer, so I'm just saying. And number two, you may not have taught them to lie and to cheat and to steal and to scream and to throw fits and stomp their feet. But did you consistently teach them not to is the question that you have to ask yourself. Right? Nobody likes to hear about child training because child training looks at the way that you parent. Child training isn't about how do I have perfect kids. It looks at how do I need to grow as a parent. Fast forward to verse 18, chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child. He wasn't grown, girded with a linen ephod. He's just doing what he was trained. Again, we find Samuel doing what he was taught to do, or better yet, maybe what he saw his mother do when she raised him. Point five. Children are monkey see, monkey do. So when your children are acting obedient or acting crazy in public, we must only wonder, what did the monkey see to act in such a way? When we go, I go grocery shopping with Paige. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I like to go, go, I don't get to spend a ton of time with her because we're so busy doing different things, but we try our best to go to the grocery store together. Um, not because she needs me to, but it's just something we do. And uh, I just enjoy watching people um, from afar and, you know, watching the way that they interact with one another. I like watching the way that uh, kids interact. And sometimes you can just tell from afar uh, when when a child has been trained. Uh, they're respectful. They just, they, they do um, you know, the things that they're supposed to be doing. They don't do the things they're not supposed to be doing. And you might say, well, that's not my kid, or you can't, you know, I'll, I'll just say your kid could be the same way, right? It's only about the way that they are trained. I, I promise. Children, they just simply do what they know. They, they want to be like their parents. They just do. Children want to be like their parents. Boys want to be like their dad. Girls want to be like their mom. They just do, right? And so, when you start to see, wow, wow, I wonder why they're doing that. I don't really have to wonder for very long. You know, Paige and I work in the uh, uh, the little, I think it's called Little Shepherds now. It used to be called Little Lambs, right? Uh, what's the age group of those kids? Three to five. Uh, I really like that age group because for the most part, they're not old enough to really talk back. Uh, and it's the age group above that that, man, I just like, I feel like I just need to like put some nails on the wall and hang them there. But anyway, uh, I really like this three to five age group, but you can nearly always tell what kind of a week these kids had just by the way that they act. I can tell you how things are at home with mom and dad. I can tell you how things are. And, and they didn't have to say a word. It's just by the way that they conduct themselves. And it's not like I'm doing this because I'm judging the parents. Hey, I get it. I had three kids. Uh, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, uh, you know, I promise, if, if having little kids is, like, freaking you out, man, teenagers, oh, man, it's great times. Uh, I've always wondered why you can go to the library or you can go to the bookstore and there are just book after book after book on how to raise young children. I haven't found a single one yet on how to raise teenagers. I guess it's because nobody's figured it out at this point. But anyway, it's just, it, it, it's a different season of life. But children are monkey see, monkey do. And so when you start to see them act like that, you have to only wonder. I wonder where they saw something like that. We must understand what it takes. I'm sorry. We must understand that it takes a while to retrain a, proper, or a previously untrained child. So don't just assume that I'm talking about your kid and, and, and understand this point. When we talk about retraining uh, 
uh, a child. And so here's what I mean by that. Uh, so Paige and I, um, we did our best raising uh, Brian and, and Brenton when they were little. Uh, but we were lost. We were living lost. We were just doing life the way we wanted to do it. And so anyway, God steps into our life. Um, not that he wasn't there before, but uh, you know, we, we get saved and immediately it was just like, oh my gosh, everything that we're doing is just like, it is, it is wrong. It didn't matter if it was talking about our marriage, the way we were raising our kids. It's everything we did, it was like, oh my gosh, we have got to, to fix some things. And so obviously Brian was a little bit older at that age, or at that point, and Brenton was, uh, how old were the kids at that point? Um, around two and four. So, you know, they were still young-ish, but it was just like, oh my gosh, we've got to we've got to get some structure. And not that we didn't before, you know, Paige was uh, a stay-at-home mom even at that point. And so she was spending time with him, but there were just some things that was like, oh my gosh, we've got to, we've got to get a, a nip this in the bud. And when we talk about retraining, basically, even if you think you have uh, your children going a certain way, doing a certain thing, when you decide that we're going to implement a different set of standards, a different set of rules, um, it's only normal for the kid to kind of kick against that and wait a minute that's not the way we've always done it that's not the way and that's okay for them to do that you just have to be consistent and so when we talk about retraining the older the kid is the longer it's going to take to to retrain because it's taken that many years of ingraining in them the way that they are now that's why i i really feel for um, families where you know maybe a mom and dad get saved and you know they've got kids that are you know 10 12 years old because that's a really hard age to basically say Everything that we've done with you our entire life, we want you to forget and start doing it this way. Like at that point, you, you know, they say by, uh, I think, age eight or somewhere in there, uh, you know, a kid basically has everything that they're going to believe kind of figured out in their life. Not that they can't change it, but at that point, like their views on kind of the world and life and everything, they've been settled. And so for you to try to change that at that point, it's hard to do. And so when we talk about retraining, and we'll talk about this more uh, in depth in a different week, but um, when we talk about retraining, you have to understand that there's going to be a, a, a time period that this takes. And not that this is exact. This is not exact science. Every kid's going to be different. But the way that I've always kind of looked at it was like this. It's going to take about a month for every year of age that your kids are to retrain them. And let me give you kind of a I don't know the word I'm looking for, uh, kind of something that goes along with that. That's with you being perfectly consistent every time. A caveat. There you go. Right? It will take you about a month for every year that they are old to retrain them. And that is if you are 100% consistent with the new way from this day moving forward. And it will be hard. There will be hard times. And that's just what it, that's what it takes because you've already instilled years of them in a different way. Fast forward to chapter, or verse 26, chapter 2 and verse 26. Again, just following Samuel's life through this thing. And it says, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and with men. So I know the, the references to Samuel's life and like it's a broken record. Samuel was a good kid. I get it, Jason. Um, that's not really what I'm, I'm trying to get you to see here. But what I do read is he's, he's batting a thousand. And this also tells me that the training was consistent as well. Um, the time that he did have with mom before he was lent to the Lord, he learned some things. So here's what you're probably thinking at this point. And I say that because I, I know how we think. Well, my kid's not perfect. And if that's what this class is about, then I should maybe leave now. 
And I mean, maybe you should. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you you should or shouldn't be. But that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point here is that your kids or kid or, or however many you have, they are not the problem. Are they a problem? Well, maybe. I don't know. That's yours to decide. I don't know. They're not the problem. I never said they had to be perfect, nor do they need to be. But they do need to be consistently trained. They do need to have consistency in their life. Because when a child has a structure, even from a young age and honestly up into their teen years, when a child has a structure, they can thrive. Right? Uh, when you give a plant something to grow on, it will continue to grow bigger and stronger. Uh, but when there's no structure there, it just kind of falls on its face. And not that I'm trying to compare your kids to plants, but it's, it's a lot of the same thing. When there's no structure, they can try to thrive, but they're eventually going to fall on their face. Child training is hard. That's, I mean, that's why we have a class on it. That's why Brian thought it was important enough for us to circle back around, and it's only been a couple years, and we're, we'll do this. I mean, this is how we do things here. Uh, child training is hard. That's why we have a class here. But it's also totally worth it. And we need to make sure that we realize that although it may seem like, uh, and I say your, your kids, they may seem like a problem every, you know, I don't know, now and maybe tomorrow and the next day, you know, every now and now it seems like they're a problem. They're not the problem. And understanding that will go a long way for their confidence. Understanding that it's not their fault that they are the way that they are, right? Um, young children, they're just going through life. I mean, if you just watch young kids, they're just bebopping through life. And every now and then they'll try to push the, the issue, like, hey, how much can I get away with? How far can I push the boundaries? How far can I walk away? How can I, I mean, they'll do that until they move out of the house, right? How fast can I drive my car? How can, I mean, all the things. But just understand, like, they just need some sort of consistently consistency, some sort of structure. One last thing before we move on to the next point, and that's for the parents who have totally missed everything because they're pretty sure that their child is just one step under God himself. And if they've probably really never done anything wrong, and if they did, it really wasn't their fault anyway. Like, I've, I've talked to parents that are like this. It, it really wasn't their fault that they did that. You know, if they would have had this going on or if this would have happened, and I, Point six, all parents must realize that no matter how perfect their little darling child is, that they're still 100% born into sin. And your covering up for that sin is only teaching them to work for salvation instead of dying to self so they can receive Christ. If you're going to cover up every bad thing that your child does because, oh man, it really wasn't your fault, and oh, you were just in a bad situation, and what you're really teaching them is that there's no accountability in life whatsoever. And it's going to be really hard to show a child like that as they grow older that they have a need for something bigger, that they have a need because they're broken. It's really hard to teach a child that you're born a sinner when their parents have told them from day one that they are, you know, basically one step under God himself. Now, it's great to build up your children, but make sure they understand that, I mean, we're all broken, and that's just the, the world that we're in. I know your child's good. But here's what Paul has to say about goodness. There is none good, no, not one. So, okay, God's not the problem. Your child's not the problem. Number three, the, the problem is not on everyone else either, or the circumstances. You can kind of put whatever you want. 
The problem's not on God. The problem's not on the child. The problem's not on everyone else. So the options are kind of narrowing down as to where the real problem can be found. But rest assured that once again, with proper training, the problem is not found in the circumstances. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. The problem is not in the circumstances. You've probably seen somebody like this or heard this scenario in your life. My kid is, they're really only acting that way because of, well, that other kid. Anytime they're around that other kid, they just go crazy, right? They, they, they're never like that except for they're when they're around him, right? Or they only act like that when they're around that group of, of people. They don't, they don't act like that at home. They, they never would do that anywhere else. It's just when those other kids are around. Or, you know, they only act that way when their feelings get hurt. And they kind of shut down and they don't know what to do. And right, they, they only act that way when that happens. Or they only act like this when, when they get mad. And they don't get mad very often. But, you know, they have a temper and, you know, I've got a temper or their dad's got a temper or however. And they only act like that when they get mad. Or, you know, they, oh, they only act that way when they're super tired and they didn't get a nap today. And so it's not their fault that, right, that they're, when they're tired. Or they only act that way when we're super busy in life and, uh, you know, if we would just slow down a little bit, they wouldn't act like that. And um, Or they only act that way when I get stressed in life, and so they're just kind of wearing it out. I mean, I've heard all of these things from parents. They only act like this, you know, on, you know, you know, days that end in Y, or they only act like this on, you know, days when the sun shines. Or That's basically what they're saying. They only act like this, well, all the time. You know what I, nearly every one of those statements remind me of? Point seven. When a parent makes excuses for their child's disobedient behavior, they really make an excuse for their lack of training their child in that area. When I hear a parent say, oh, they only act like that when they're around that kid. They only act like that when, when this happens. What they're really telling me is I haven't taken the time to prep them for that situation. And so really it's my fault and I don't really want to take responsibility for it. So uh, it's not really their fault or mine. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Um, they only act like that because you didn't prep them for that situation. Oh, you didn't know that those kids were going to be at the playground today? Like, they're here every time you come here. You didn't know that they were going to act like that when this happens? It's happened every time so far. You have to, at some point, train your children for certain circumstances. It's kind of like your own life. You know that there's that one person at work that if I get around them, I just want to absolutely lose my salvation, Right? Okay, so here's, you have a couple of options. One, suffer your flesh because, oh my gosh, just, you know, die to self a little bit. Uh, but if you can't, maybe just avoid the situation a little bit. Or, you know, pray it up and be ready. And, you know, for when the, whatever the circumstance is, you, you're able to prepare yourself for certain things. But yet we make excuses for lack of training our kids. You see, every one of those scenarios are very likely and they should be expected. So the question is, why haven't you trained them in that area? Let's look at the word and understand what I'm talking about here, because I'm not just making this stuff up. Uh, back up to chapter 2 and uh, verse 11. Let's just read a little bit of this real quick. Okay, so it says, And Elkanah went uh, to, to Ramah, uh, his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. So, okay, at this point, uh, Samuel has grown up enough to where they have basically taken him to the temple uh, and dropped him off there and basically told Eli, Hey, uh, my son is here. Uh, as, as a minister to the temple, right? He is yours for your service. He, he will sleep here. There's like a dorm. We would look at it kind of like a dormitory type of thing. Basically, he is there to serve in the temple. Okay, so that's what's going on. And then we start to read about 
some of the other things that are going on in this place. Okay, so in verse 12, now the sons of Eli, they were the sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came while the flesh was in the seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into a pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, uh, all that the flesh hook brought up, and the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh uh, and all the Israelites that came into there. So what they're basically saying is um, that was their portion as the priest, as people would come and give sacrifices to the Lord, and they were able to take a small portion uh, to feed themselves, and, and, and it's, it's a biblical thing, okay? So, but what was going on after that was not so biblical. Uh, and it says in verse 15, and also they burnt the fat. The priest servants came and said uh, to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. Uh, and so if you compare that and back to the Old Testament, they were not supposed to be eating raw stuff. So anyway, uh, there's a problem there in verse 16. And if any man said unto him, let them not, uh, uh, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take it as much as thy soul desireth, and he would answer him and say, nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. So basically, people were coming to the temple to sacrifice, doing a holy thing, and these ministers, uh, of, these sons of Eli, these ministers would basically say, no, we don't want it like that, we want it like this, and the people were like, wait a minute, that's not how God said to do it back in, uh, Exodus, right? And, and that's not, and they were like, uh, no, you're going to do it this way. And if not, I'm going to take it myself, right? And basically these people were like, I don't know what to do. These people are, this is not godly. This is what, what is happening here is not right. Verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So what's going on here? It, it's, it's a really messed up deal of, of what's happening. Samuel had several of the same things we were just talking about working against him, and yet he still prevailed, right? So let's let's look at a few of these, because you might be like, what are you talking about? You know, Samuel, he, he was supposed to have, so let's look at a few of the things he had going against him where he could have fallen into the same sin that was going on around him. He was without his parents. You know, whoever he learned all of his obedience, all of his training through, uh, yet he still obeyed through all of this. He was around the quote-unquote bad or problem kids. Hopni and Phineas uh, in, in this situation, yet he still obeyed. Uh, he still chose wisely. He had no direct authority in his presence to see if what he did was wrong, yet he still ministered. You know, too often it's like, oh, well, if they would have had better supervision, they wouldn't have done that. I mean, I mean maybe, but he had all the things. He had no direct authority. He, he was around nothing but worldly examples all day, almost like he was in, I don't know, the public school. Yet he was still obedient. And I'm not saying that because I'm against the public school. Two of my kids go there. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a family by family decision. Just throwing that out there. Uh, there's a lot of things I, uh, we won't have that conversation right now. Maybe a different night, but not tonight. Anyway, he was in a really messed up situation. So how was Samuel able to prevail against every bad circumstance? Well, I know what you're thinking because he was perfect and my kids aren't, Jason. We've already heard this. That's not, the point I'm trying to make. But since we're here, here's another point to chew on until I can expound it better in a couple weeks. Point eight. You and your child will both be better off when you stop comparing them to somebody else's kids. You and your children alike will be better off when you stop comparing them to somebody else's kids. I'm not comparing your kids to Samuel. Just like you should not be comparing your kids to Samuel. I'm simply pointing out that the circumstances are not the problem. In child training. They're not. 
Here's another example just to make sure we get the point. Follow on uh, in the same chapter. He goes on in uh, chapter 2, pick up in verse 22. Now, if you thought it was bad that they were stealing the food and eating it like they weren't supposed to, it gets a little worse. Uh, it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 22, Now Eli was very old, and he heard that his sons uh, did, unto, did unto all Israel, and how they lay with women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I don't think it was because the ladies were cold that they were laying with them. There was some things going on that weren't supposed to be happening here. It was not good, okay? And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If, man, if one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. In verse 26, And Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and with men. We should never desire to choose. We should never desire for or choose to send our kids into a scenario like this. But it shouldn't change the fact that they can choose not to be affected by it. Right? Your kids will see things in life that you're going to wish they wouldn't have. They're going to hear things in life that you're going to wish they wouldn't have. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but sometimes it's going to be at church. Right? No, not because they heard it from whoever was teaching, but uh, there are people at church. And uh, people come from the world. And I'm just saying, it, there is there is no way to kind of not... To, to shelter your kids, right? There, you, sometimes you just have to trust that they have learned what you've taught them. I doubt that Hannah, while we're on the subject, had the specific talk with Samuel about how not to sin when your contemporaries were sleeping with the women at the door of the tabernacle. I doubt that when she was dropping him off the day that they were on their way there, she was like, hey, and by the way, Samuel, if there's other people there that are doing this specific thing, you can't do that. I doubt that that was actually the talk that was had. But yet somehow he knew, I probably ought not do that. Right now, yes, you should you should try to train your kids and, and prep them for every situation you can. But at some point, there has to come a time where they just know I can't do that because it's not right, and we don't do things that are not right. Point nine: by teaching your kids or training your kids what to do in most all circumstances will help them to know what not to do when the lines are not so clear. When you teach your kids what to do. In pretty much every circumstance in life, when a circumstance comes up that kind of seems like a, well, I didn't really expect to see this or hear this, they usually have enough discernment to know, that's probably not for me, right? That, that's probably, no, I'm good. I, I'm just going to abstain from that. Point 10, if you're shielding your child from all the bad in the world, you may see adverse effects than what you were hoping. This happens as well. At some point, you have to allow your children to see what the world has. Now, I didn't say go shove them into the world, but at some point, you have to uh, at least talk through some of the things that they're going to come up against. Because if not, they'll hear it. I mean, shoot, just turn the radio on, turn the TV on, uh, you know, just be around kids their age. It's, it's a messed up world. So if you think that you can just shelter your kids from all that, you may see more of an adverse effect than what you were hoping. I'm not saying have them live in the world but they should at least know what is in the world. They should know what they're up against. And you should also let them know that it's okay to not do that. Right? It's okay to be different and not. The overriding point I'm trying to make before I run out of time is, is simply this. The problem's not on everyone else or everything else or every other circumstance. It's not the circumstance's fault that 
your child failed in whatever situation it was. And by the way, it's okay for your child to fail in a situation, right? Those are the, the best times to teach somebody something is when they can see that, wow, what just happened was not the way to do it, right? Sometimes that's the, the best way, right? And so the last point, and we'll kind of wrap this thing up, circle it up, and, and get moving. The problem's not found in God. The problem's not found in the child. It's not found in the circumstances. But number four, the problem is found in the parents. You might be like, well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, just hear me out before you get your feelings hurt. I'll say that nicer than how I have it written here. And you get offended and you leave. Let me just ask you a couple questions to kind of show you the point I'm trying to make. Can you control what God does? You can pray. I can't control what God does. I just can't. Can you control your child? Don't forget you're in a child training class and you voluntarily came here, so I'm, I'm guessing that the answer to that is probably not, not exactly either. You can't control what your child does. You can hope that you can, but you can't control them. Uh, can you control the circumstances? Because I sure can't. I'm somebody who likes to make sure that I have, uh, I, I, I try to make sure that I can manipulate the circumstances as much as I can to go in my favor no matter what it is. Um, but you can't control all the circumstances, right? I can't control when it rains. I can't control when, when all, I just can't. So if I can't control God and I can't control the things that my child ultimately does and I can't control the circumstances, what can I control? I can control what I do. Right? And if you're here and you want to grow in your child training in any way, shape, or form, the only thing that you can control is what you do. So take that and see what you can do. I know you're all here because you believe that in some way or another you can grow in your child training abilities, but don't check out now because the biggest point is still, is still coming. We want to get into all the particulars of how and when and why and how often we should discipline, and how often we should discipline, and I don't know if I mentioned how often we should discipline. We'll get into all of that. Um, but for now, I just want you to see a couple things from this particular story and how the problem can be found in, in the parents. Right? You might look at this and you're like, okay, well, I understand that it sounds like you know, Samuel's mom did a pretty good job, but so how is it her fault? That, right? how, can we, how are you going to use this to show me what you're talking about? Let me just... Chapter 2, verse 22 to 25, I, I read this a minute ago, but this is where it didn't work out so good for Eli. Now, remember, Eli was the priest. He was supposed to be the holy guy in the situation. It says his, Eli was very old and heard that his sons did unto Israel how that they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the uh, tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings, all, all these people. Nay, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear you make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge uh, shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Eli waited until his kids were too old to train, instead of doing it when they were young, when it would have been easier. I promise, if you have younger kids, and you think, oh my gosh, my kids are never going to, to buy into some sort of child training, uh, the younger they are, the better. I mean, if you've got kids that are in their teens, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no hope, but, I mean, at some point, 
you can say all that you want. They're their own person at that point. Uh, the younger that you can train your children, the better off you'll have. And I'll also say this. I have older children now. And I even have older children that uh, won't say that they completely buy into everything that Paige and I did. Um, they're kind of living uh, their their own life. They're doing their thing. Um, and some of the things that they used to, to question, like, why would you... Why did you do this when we were when we were uh, when we were little? Why did you make us do this all the time? Why did why were you so uh, such a stickler on obedience and like the, all these different things? And uh, I've even heard out of my kids' mouth after seeing the way some of these other people raise their kids, I totally understand why you guys did what you did. I didn't like it, but man, I totally understand it, right? Because when you don't train a child, man, they just completely run the entire house. Eli waited until the disobedience of his children was affecting others before he decided to act on training or disciplining them. Parents do this as well. Parents, they decide that, I mean, what my kid's doing isn't that big of a deal. It's not until they get called from the teacher that, you know, their kid got in a fight or they got called from the school that, you know, they're, they're causing issues with other people that it's like, oh, now I need to do something about this. Now it's probably too late. Don't wait until they're their their sin is affecting everybody else. He waited until his son's sin was affecting him. That's really what parents do to act. Here's a point to learn from from Eli's waiting, point 11. When you choose to wait or what we as Christians like to call give grace, oh, I'm just giving them grace as they grow through it. When we choose to wait or give grace when your children are disobedient, you're teaching them that obedience isn't always expected and that there are times in life when it's actually okay to turn a blind eye to sin. When you choose to, well, it's not that big of a deal this time, what you're really teaching them is that there are actually circumstances in life where you can turn a blind eye to sin and it'll be okay. And if that's not what you're teaching them, then you're, you're teaching them some sort of double standard. And that's the last thing that you're going to want. We saw how Eli is laying in the bed of his disobedient children, right? He's laying in the bed that he made. But what about Samuel's parents? Back up to chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8. What about them? It says, I read this before, but I want to read it again. This is when Hannah is still barren, but just start to think about the character of his parents, okay? It says in in verse 7, And he did so year by year. So Samuel's parents were were going and they were sacrificing. You know, his dad was at least going through the religious things. Um, when she went up to the house of the Lord, uh, she provoked her, therefore she wept uh, and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better than ten sons? He's like, you don't need any kids anyway, baby, you got me, right? That's basically what he's saying. Now, some may say that this is simply a man acting like a man. This is what guys do. They're just dumb, which is not very smart, by the way. Uh, I see something a little different when I read this. When you read between the lines here, what Elkanah is saying is he sees himself as better than any son that he could ever have, which is a problem that some people deal with from their earthly father even today. They have this feeling that uh, some people grow up with this, that it doesn't matter what I do, I'll never be as good as my dad. I'll never be as good as my mom. I'll never meet at their expectations. I'll never be that good, right? That, That really does happen. Some dads or moms, it doesn't really matter. 
will always put themselves or their wants or their desires or their hobbies or their whatever before their kids. Point 12, don't be surprised when because you were so preoccupied when they were young with what your wants and your desires and your golf game and uh, your, you know, whatever, uh, your time with your girlfriends, your time with your guy friends or your time working or your time doing this or uh, God forbid, you know, I look back at my life, my time that I spent so much time when I was in Bible school and I spent so much time working and I spent all these things that I thought were good things. And I look back and I'm like, man, did I do everything? Did I do everything right? Don't be surprised when because you were so preoccupied that they will in turn be preoccupied when you, or better yet, God is calling them to come and see. Don't be surprised that if you were so preoccupied with their life for so long that when you're ready to call them, oh, they ain't got no time for it. Now, I'll say this. I understand what it's like to be busy. I understand what it's like to uh, need to make money and uh, to provide and do all of those things. There has to be some sort of a priority system and making sure that your kids understand that and they're a priority in your life. You have to. Also note the difference of attitude that mom had toward her son as compared to dad. Mom was praying for him before he was even born. Dad thought himself better than him. Imagine the, the, just the thoughts, the impact that these thoughts can play on a child and their insecurities when they think, you know, that, you know, one parent cares more than the other or this side of the other. You just have to make sure that you understand the impact that you have on your kids, even when you're not speaking, even when you're not there. Make sure you understand that. Now, again, I'm laying the groundwork. We're going to get into a lot more of the details of what child training looks like, really starting the next week. But if you don't understand the impact that some of these things make, then you're going to really struggle moving forward. Guys, we like to laugh off this last point because, you know, we're men. We're supposed to be manly. We're supposed to work hard and, you know, do all this. And, you know, we're tough. We're tough guys, right? And we want our kids to be tough too, especially our sons. We want our kids to see that, you know, we're tough and we do all these things and we don't show any emotion and this, that, and the other. And um, I, I grew up in a home like that. And I'll say that there is, there is some benefit to that, but uh, there's more benefit for your kids to see emotion. We're really only hurting them when we don't show them what true emotion looks like, right? You're really only hurting your kids if you never tell them that you love them, that they're important to you, that you would rather go do this with them than go do that with whoever, right? Or that they can't go because, you know, for whatever reason. Make sure that you're willing to show emotion to your kids. Chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, it says, But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until, so basically Samuel is just born at this point, uh, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. So at this point, she's like, uh, I'm not going to take him yet because he's still too young to go to the temple, but when I do take him, uh, it's it, he's going to go and he's going to be a minister in the temple for for however long he needs to be. right? And so this is like a decision that I think is right. He's going to follow the Lord. And what's dad say? Verse 23, and Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, do what seemeth thee good. Basically, whatever you say, babe, I, whatever. I, if that's what you think he needs to do. Tarry thou there until you have weaned him. Only the Lord established his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck till she weaned him. 
again, you may read this and not think much of it. When I read this, I see something that destroys child training and marriages for that matter. Right here in the text. It doesn't come right out and say it, but it implies that Hannah and Elkanah, they're not really on the same page when it comes to what's going to happen with young Samuel. They're not really on the same page with a lot of things in life. It doesn't seem at this point, but it will destroy your child training. That isn't too hard to understand since, you know, this guy's got two wives and the fact that he's better than ten sons here at this point. And uh, the point you need to see is that we're really going to look into in a few weeks, but here's kind of the point, point 13. If mom and dad are not on the same page when it comes to parenting, then only disaster and division can be expected. If mom and dad don't sit down and have a real heart-to-heart conversation on how serious are we about this, how bought into we are this, how bought into this are we, I'm sorry, uh, and, and how consistent are we going to be. If you're not on the same page, it's not going to work. You can only expect disaster and division. Remember, from the beginning, you're negotiating with a terrorist here. They not only can, but they will use anything they can to their advantage. Your kids will take anything that you say. They understand that if mom and dad aren't getting along, they hear what's going on. And they will take the things that they want to hear, and they will take them to the other parent, and they'll say just the right things to provoke pride in the disagreement that you have with the other person to get their wants and their desires. That's what they do, right? They're born that way. They're little sinners, right? That's what kids do. They will use anything they can to drive you apart. Right? How do you how do you break a rock? Right? How do you how do you split a rock? You try to find a crack in it. You find a weak point. We were splitting wood the other day, and like, you know, with a with a splitting mall because my splitter disappeared from my house, and uh, it wasn't really mine; it was my dad's. But at some point, you know, possessions nine tenths of the law. I thought it was kind of at my. I thought I lived at my house long enough; it was just mine. But anyway, we're splitting wood, and when you're splitting wood by hand, you find a weak point, you find a crack, and that's where that's how you, you split this stuff, and. It's the same way with driving parents apart. Right? When kids see that, well, mom says no, I'll just go to dad. Well, if they know that no matter what, dad's always going to support mom, then it's really hard to break the, break the rock. But if they can find a division here, same thing otherwise, right? If, if they know, you know, dad says no and they know that mom's always going to support it. If they know that they're together, they look for any kind of division whatsoever to try to get you distracted so they can get what they want. I just needed some candy, and so I said whatever I had to say to get it, right? I just needed some whatever so I could get whatever I needed to get it, whatever. Well, candy turns into bigger things as they get older, so make sure you understand that they'll use anything they can to their advantage. Now, let me say something really quick. This doesn't mean that all single parents are just, you know, screwed in this situation. That's not what I'm talking about. It's always going to be easier uh, to train when there's two people involved. Because if you're single, then that means there's probably another parent uh, at a different uh, location, and there's always two sets of values that are bouncing back and forth. It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it does present a whole new set of, uh, of, of issues, okay? It doesn't mean that it can't be done. I'm just, I'm not saying that like, oh, you're just messed, good luck. I'm just saying it is easier if you can be on the same page, okay? Point 14 the way that a single parent loves enough to try to chain, train their child in God's word and way even against the world's pull on them 
is the same way that God loved enough to try to reach out and give you his way even against the world's pulling you. Make sure you understand that if you are single, somebody that's listening to this, and you're like, there's just no hope. The same way that God thought that there was enough hope to reach out for you, you should think that there's enough hope to reach out, even if the other spouse is just completely against what you're doing. Uh, just trust that, that God's behind what you're doing, okay? It's, it's, God, will never, God will never look down on you for doing the right thing, right? Even if it seems like there's no hope because the other set of parents are just completely not doing that. I, I promise God will come through. Obviously, single parenting is not easy, but remember, you know, back to the point. The point that remains is the fact that there are divorced parents that are like-minded in parenting even sometimes more than Christian parents. So, you know, if it, I've, I've seen divorced parents that parent better than some parents in the church. So it doesn't mean that if you're divorced or separated that there's just no hope, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. It's all about being like-minded. So whatever that looks like in your situation, you can talk about individual things with me after if you want to or catch me sometime. But the point here is being on the same page is, is huge, what what starts as a comment turns into a disagreement and then to an argument, right, in our marriage. The child only sees this as a crack and with the right wording can turn it into a wedge that can eventually split the mountain. They'll do anything they can to get their way. Here's another thing to remember while you're, uh, whether you're a single parent or have both parents in the house, and it's something that as we move forward in this study, you'll be wise to get a hold of. Point 15. This is a big one. Proper training always works with every child. I really hate it when people are like, oh, but you don't understand my kid. Uh, okay, you don't understand my God. Uh, you don't understand the things that I've seen God do um, with the right training and the right consistency. I've never seen anyone who actually bought into this and did this, and it didn't work. I've never. Proper training always works with every child. It just does. Now, we'll talk about consistency and obedience and all of the things in the weeks to come but it always works with every child you heard that correct it's an absolute uh, if you are consistent then there's not a child who cannot be retrained it really comes down to who has the stronger will you were the child and i promise there's times that you might be like i'm pretty sure my child does um well i mean it can't be that way who has the stronger will, you or your child? Okay, so one last thing before we're finished. And coincidentally enough, it's the most important thing you're going to hear tonight. So make sure if you didn't hear anything else, you hear this. If you only hear one thing that's been said or that will be said in the next three weeks, you got to hear this because nothing's going to make any sense moving forward. Now let's jump into chapter 1 and verse 26 to 28. It says, and Eli, or she said, Oh, my Lord, uh, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. So basically, she's taking Samuel, she's dropping him off with Eli. For, the, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also have I lent him to the Lord. As long as he, as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So she basically takes him, and she's telling Eli he is here to basically serve the Lord for his life. Um, this is not something that Hannah did wrong. But all too often, it's where we as parents do go wrong. We like to say, man, look at my kid. Did you see what my kid did? Do you know how smart my kid is? 
Did you see how many touchdowns they scored? Do you see how fast they are? Do you understand how good they are? My kid this and my kid that. In reality, we've forgotten point 16. Our kids are not really ours at all. They're simply God's kids on loan to us. Make sure you understand that. Your kids might look like you. They might talk like you. They might be stubborn like you and get mad like you. They might love like you and all of the things. Make sure you understand. And as they get older, you really start to understand this. They're not your kids at all. They're simply God's kids on loan. And God is entrusting you to train them up in his way. We only have children because God allows us to have them. Hannah pictured this perfectly for us. You know, God could have just made you barren if he wanted to. So if they're really God's kids, then why don't we treat them like that? It says she lent him to the Lord. When you think about your kids, you know, some of us have younger kids, some of us have older kids. And when you think about, man, this is what I picture for my kid when they're older. Like, or what I pray for my kid. Do you pray for them to, like, have a, a good job? Do you want them to have wealth or happiness or prosperity, a good family, you know, a good career? Those are good things. But are they godly things? I mean, when you pray for your kids, what do you really pray? What, what does God want you to pray for them? You know, it's a really hard prayer to say, God, if it's your will, take my kid and send him to the mission field. God, if it's your will, uh, take my kid and use him. In any way that you see fit, because sometimes we look at that, and I've, I've actually heard, we used to work on the youth ministry, and you start, you start talking to high school kids about stuff like this, and about, man, you really need to buy in what God's doing, and be a part of what God uh, wants for your life, and I, I've ruffled some feathers with some parents that said, no, my kids are going to college. My kids are going to do this. I mean, we're talking about in this church. My parents that I wouldn't have expected to hear it from, they can figure that stuff out later. And it's like, huh. Okay, and so make sure that you understand these are God's kids, and what does God want for your for your kids, for His kids? Why do we desire worldly things for God's kids? And so here's the point I really need you to understand, because if you don't, then we'll struggle for the next three weeks. They're God's kids. However many of them you have, God gave them to you, and He hasn't taken them yet. You really have to understand that. So I understand that some parents don't completely agree on what discipline should look like for their kids. Well, it's a good thing that they're God's kids, and he's clear what it should look like. Well, dad doesn't think we should do that, or mom doesn't think we should do that. Well, it's a good thing that they're God's kids, and God left us a book that says this is what it should look like. I understand that you think that there's several different ways to train your kids, and discipline isn't one of them, right? I've heard that from several parents. Well, it's a good thing that they're God's kids, and he's clear what it should look like. I mean, do you kind of see where I'm going with this? Without a standard, we simply would chase our tails in circles when it comes to child training. But the cool thing is we do have a standard, and it's the Word of God, and it's crystal clear what God says training should look like. So the question for you will be between now and two weeks from now when we come back, and if you come back and you really want to buy into this, here's a question you need to ask yourself. Will I allow myself to learn and apply God's way, or will I continue to try it my way? All the while hoping to not find myself on the next episode of Super Nanny because my kids went too far off the edge. Like at some point you have to decide, am I really willing to evaluate myself and decide if I need to grow or change, I will. 
Or am I so far set in my ways that I'm not going to do it? Because if not, I mean, you're wasting your time. So as, as we go into to, to further weeks, we're going to start talking about what obedience looks like and how there has to be a baseline of obedience and what training looks like and all that. But if you don't stop and, and look at where you're at on this and what your mind is moving forward, then you're going to be wasting your time. Okay, so make sure you spend a little bit of time with yourself deciding how much am I really willing to give? How much are my kids really worth? And I'm not, don't do this because you want perfectly obedient children. Do it because God told you to. And you'd be amazed at the results. So let's pray and we'll get out of here. What did we learn before we do that? The, the, the problem's not on God. The problem's not on our child. The problem's not on everybody else. The problem is on the parents. And so the key point for tonight, as we walk out of here, our kids are not ours at all, but instead they're the Lord's. So will I submit to train them the way he wants us, or he wants his kids to be trained? Right? That's the question you've got to ask yourself. Will I submit to train them the way he wants his kids to be trained? Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank